National Broadcasting Company presents, transcribes, Sir Lawrence Olivier in Theatre Royal. This is Lawrence Olivier. Today, for a change, our play is to be taken from sequences I've chosen from a novel which I think must be almost the most famous ever written. Charles Dickens, David Copperfield. This particular sequence introduces a particular character. To me, a very particular character, Mr. Micawber. So now I'm going to tell you the story of Mr. Micawber's difficulties. My name is David Copperfield, and this is to be the story of an early chapter in my life, the story of my boyhood. It is a deplorable, but no unusual thing for a boy to be out of favor with his stepfather, and since he stood in that relation to me, perhaps I can charge no unusual harshness against Mr. Murdstone in that he wished me out of his sight. As his stepson, I was an expense and a burden to him, and Mr. Murdstone could see no reason why that expense should be prolonged. Which was the reason, no doubt, why he launched me so early upon my working career. I suppose you know, David, that I'm not rich. At any rate, you know it now. You've received some considerable education already. Education is costly. And even if it were not and I could afford it, I'm of opinion it would not be to your advantage to stay on at school. Yes, sir. I, I mean no, sir. What is before you is a fight with the world. And the sooner you begin it, the better. Yes, sir. You've heard the counting house mentioned sometimes. Counting house? Our business, Murdstone and Grinby and the wine trade. Yes, sir, I, I think so. Why, you've heard the counting house mentioned or the business or the cellars or the wharf or something about it. Yes, sir. Well, Mr. Quinn here manages the business. Uh, hmm. He suggests that it gives employment to other boys and he sees no reason why it shouldn't on the same terms give employment to you. He having no other prospect, Murdstone. Precisely. Those terms are, David, that you earn enough for yourself to provide for your eating and drinking and pocket money. Your lodging, which I have arranged for, will be paid by me. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. So I'm now going to London, David, with Mr. Quinion here to begin the world on your own account. In short, you are provided for and will please to do your duty. You will leave on the coach tomorrow morning. I know enough of the world now to have almost lost the capacity of being surprised by anything. But it is a matter of some surprise to me even now that I can have been so easily thrown away at such an age. A child of excellent abilities and with strong powers of observation. Quick, eager, delicate, and soon hurt bodily and mentally. It seems wonderful to me that nobody should have made any sign in my behalf. But none was made. And I became, at ten years old, a little laboring hind in the service of Murdstone and Grimley. Their warehouse was on the London Riverside, down in Blackfriars. It was a crazy old house with a wharf of its own. Abutting on the water when the tide was in, and on the mud when the tide was out and literally overrun with rats. Ah, uh, you don't want to take any notice of the rats. They won't bother you if you don't bother them. No, I, I won't. My name's Mick, Mick Walker, and that there's my dad. He's a bargeman. And this is Mealy. Mealy? Yes, I'm Mealy Potatoes, they call me. My dad's a farmer. What's your dad? Well, I, I don't really have a dad. My stepfather's Mr. Murdstone. What, him? The governor? Not that we see much of him around here, of course. Of course, 
are you one of the knobs, then? Nah, he's just a bottle washer like you and me. Oh. Come on, then. Let's get started on some of these. What do I have to do, please? You've got to watch out for flaws in them and wash them as hasn't got them. Then you've got to stick labels on them when they're filled and cork them in the cast here. So let's get started on them. No words can express the secret agony of my soul as I sunk into my new companionship or the shame I felt in my new position. As often as Mick Walker went away in the course of that afternoon, I mingled my tears with the water in which I was washing the bottles and sobbed as if there were a flaw in my own breast and it was in danger of bursting. It was dinner time before anyone spoke to me again. Hey, he wants you. Mr. Quinion in the counting house. He said to tell you. Oh, thank you. Yes. I went into the counting house where Mr. Quinion was waiting for me and found there a stoutish middle-aged person in a brown surtout and black tights and shoes with no more hair upon his head, which was a large one and very shining, than there is upon an egg, and with a very extensive face, which he turned full upon me. His clothes were shabby, but he had an imposing shirt collar on. He carried a jaunty sort of stick with a large pair of rusty tassels to it and a quizzing glass hung outside his coat. Ah. Well, this is he. So this is Master Copperfield. I hope I see you well, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. I hope you're the same, sir. I am, thank heaven, very well. I've received a letter from Mr. Murdstone in which he mentions that he would desire me to receive into an apartment in the rear of my house, which is at present unoccupied, and is, in short, to be let as a, in short, as a bedroom. The young beginner, whom I now have the pleasure to... This is Mr. Micawber. Uh, that is my name. Mr. Micawber is known to Mr. Murdstone. He takes orders for us on commission, when he can get any. He's been written to by Mr. Murdstone on the subject of your lodgings, and he'll receive you as a lodger. My address is Windsor Terrace, City Road. I, um, in short, I live there. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Under the impression that your peregrinations in this metropolis have not yet been extensive, and that you might find some difficulty in penetrating the arcana of the modern Babylon in the direction of the city road, in short, that you might lose yourself, I shall be happy to call this evening and install you in the knowledge of the nearest way. It's very kind of you, sir. At what hour? Shall at I... about eight. No, at about eight. I beg to wish you good day, Mr. Quinion. I will intrude no longer. My salary at Murdstone and Grimby's was six shillings a week. Mr. Quinion had paid me a week down from his own pocket, I believe, and I gave Mealy sixpence out of it to get my trunk carried to Windsor Terrace that night, it being too heavy for my strength, small as I was. I paid sixpence more for dinner, which was a meat pie and a turn at the neighboring pump. At the appointed hour, Mr. Micawber called to conduct me to his home, a house in Windsor Terrace that was shabby like himself, but also like himself, made all the show it could. And there I was duly presented to Mrs. Micawber. And this, my dear, is Master Copperfield, whom we have undertaken to install in the top floor back in the capacity of, in short, as our lodger. We are happy to have you among us, Master Copperfield, though I never thought before I was married, when I lived with Papa and Mama, that I should ever find it necessary to take a lodger. But Mr. Micawber, being in difficulties, all considerations of private feelings give way. Yes, ma'am. The difficulties, I trust, are of a merely temporary nature. Almost any time now, I'm expecting something to turn up. This is Master Wilkins Micawber, aged four, this is Miss Emma, age three. Uh, these are the twins, as yet unweaned. And uh, this is the help. Kick it. I'm an orphling from St. Luke's. Pleased to meet you. My name's David, David Copperfield. Well, Copperfield, Mrs. McCorber will show you to your room while I assist at the preparation of a convivial ball. In short, an egg flip with our kippers. Thank you, sir. This way, Master Copperfield. Mr. McCorber's difficulties are almost overwhelming at present. Whether it is possible to bring him through them, I don't know. When I lived at home with Papa and Mama, I really should have hardly understood what the word meant, in the sense in which I now employ it. But experience does it, as Papa used to say. I'm very sorry, ma'am. I hope things will turn out for him. Of course. If Mr. McCorber's creditors will not give him time, they must take the consequences. And the sooner they bring...
bring it to these two, the better. The last cannot be obtained from a stone, neither can anything but a can't be obtained at present, uh, not to mention the large expenses, from Mr. Micawber. Well, Master Copperfield, this is your room. I trust you will be comfortable. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. My room is at the top of the house, at the back. A close chamber, scantily furnished, and stenciled all over with an ornament which my young imagination represented as a blue muffin. In that room, or with the family, I pass my leisure time for the next few weeks. My own exclusive breakfast of a penny loaf and a pennyworth of milk I provided myself. I kept another small loaf and a modicum of cheese on a particular shelf of a particular cupboard to make my supper on when I came back at night. Otherwise, I was out at the warehouse all day and had to support myself on my six shillings all the week. Meanwhile, Mr. Micawber's difficulties showed no sign of abating. Come on! You ain't out yet, you know, Mr. Micawber! Pay us, will you? Don't I, you know, that's mean. I wouldn't be mean if I was you. Here, pay us, will you? Just pay us, yes? Come on, we ain't got no time for swindlers and robbers, not us. We haven't oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. I do wish they wouldn't be so importunate. You can scarcely imagine the grief and mortification I feel, Copperfield, that you should find my affairs in such an unhappy state. I think he's gone now, Mr. Micawber. Uh, well, well, we shall see, we shall see. After all, it is only time that I require of him, and all shall be put to rights. It just so happens I have every expectation of something turning up, in which case I shall meet every man's expectation, and in short, I shall pay them. Little did I think, Master Copperfield, when I was living with my daughter. Uh, I, I, I was making a little calculation the other night as to the expense of putting bow windows to the house. I cannot have feeling that it would be a great improvement. Well, no doubt it would be, Copper, but this is hardly the time. Uh, well, perhaps you're right, my dear. I was merely thinking of it in case anything turns out. <clears throat> if the coast now appears to be clear, I will take the opportunity of going about my business, I think. Goodbye, my dear. Good day to you, Copperfield. Good day, sir. Master Copperfield, I make you a stranger of you, and therefore do not hesitate to say that Mr. Micawber's difficulties are coming to a crisis. I'm very sorry, ma'am. With the exception of a heel of a Dutch cheese, which is not adapted to the wants of a young family, there is really not a scrap of anything in the larder. Oh, dear. I've two shillings of my money left, ma'am. If you would only... No. My dear Master Copperfield, far be it from my thoughts. But you have a discretion beyond your ears and can render me another kind of service if you will. Of course, Mrs. Micawber, anything. I've parted with the plate myself. Six tea, two salt, and a pair of sugars I've borrowed money on with my own hands. But the twins are a great tie. And to me, with my recollections of Papa and Mama, these transactions are very painful. There are still a few trifles we could part with, though Mr. Micawber's feelings would never allow him to dispose of them. Master Copperfield, if I might ask you... Why, of course, ma'am. I passed the pawnbroker's on my way to work. At the pawnbroker's shop, I soon began to be very well known. But Mr. Micawber's difficulties were such that no pawnbroker could take care of them for long. And at last, those difficulties came indeed to a crisis. Anything wrong? Who are these? No, no, my dear, I regret to announce that the blow has fallen. I am to regard myself as temporarily in the embarrassment of a restraint, and am, in short, I'm under arrest. Under arrest? Painful as it must be to you, my dear, I am to be carried over to the King's Bench prison in the borough for debt. The god of day has gone down upon me. In short, my heart is broken. Now, oh, this is little short of an outrage. Mm. If my poor papa and mamma yes, had ever... Yes, yes, my dear, we must bear these things as best we may. 
I have no doubt at all that the restraint would be of a purely temporary nature. Quite right. I have told these uh, uh, gentlemen that I am hourly expecting something to turn up. Oh, oh, let you come to this. My dear, we must bear our troubles philosophically. As for you, Copperfield, I must solemnly advise you to take warning by my face. I invite you to consider one thing. If a man has an income of 20 pounds and spends 19 pounds, 19 shillings and sixpence, he will be happy. If he has an income of 20 pounds and spends 20 pounds, ought and sixpence, he will be miserable. Nothing, Copperfield, nothing. And now, gentlemen, I'm at your disposal. To the King's Bench Prison! continue Theatre Royal with Sir Lawrence Olivier. On the first Sunday after Mr. Micawber was taken to the King's Bench Prison, I went to have dinner there with him. Mr. Micawber was waiting for me within the gate, and we went up to his room, top story but one, and there we cried together. He again begged me to take warning from his example, after which he borrowed a shilling from me for Porter, gave me a written order on Mrs. Micawber for the amount and put away his pocket handkerchief and cheered up. We sat before a little fire with two bricks put within the rusted gate, one on each side to prevent it burning too many coals. Then another debtor who shared the room with him came in from the bakehouse with a loin of mutton and we all set to. I hope you remembered to give Captain Hopkins my compliments, Copperfield, for the loan of his knife and fork. Oh, yes, sir. He sent his compliments to you along with Very me. civil of him, I'm sure. And how are things progressing in Windsor Terrace? Mrs. Micawber is bearing up well, you say? Very well, sir. Some of the furniture has been sold up, but we oh. still have enough for our needs. I'm sorry to hear about the furniture, Copperfield. Still, no doubt Mrs. Micawber knows what is best in the circumstances. Yes, sir. May I persuade you to a little more mutton, Copperfield? Perhaps a glass of porter would not come of me? Thank you, sir. After all, we must keep in good heart. I'm prepared to meet the demands of my creditors in any way which can be confounded and hope to be beforehand with the world again before too long. There was something agreeable and gypsy-like in the dinner after all. I took back Captain Hopkins' knife and fork early in the afternoon and went home to comfort Mrs. Micawber with an account of my visit. She fainted when she saw me return and made a little jug of egg hot afterwards to console us while we talked it over. You could have no idea, Master Copperfield, how all this distresses me. I can imagine, ma'am. Now that most of the furniture has been carried away, there really seems no point in our staying on in this house any longer. I'm seriously thinking of joining Mr. Micawber myself. But yes, ma'am, but what... If you will be so good as to return the key to the landlord, I can have the beds moved over to the King's Bench. And much as I dislike such a course, there seems to be no alternative. But, but what about me, ma'am? Oh, my dear Master Copperfield, I had no intention of leaving you unprovided for. I could hire you a room in the neighborhood, one for you and another for cricket. Thank you, ma'am, I'm sure. If it weren't for me being an orphan... At all costs, we must contrive to keep together, Master Copperfield, for we have come to regard you as very much one of the family. I hope Mr. McCorber's difficulties can be overcome, ma'am. Of that I have no doubt, Master Copperfield. The crisis in our affairs will pass. <laughs> So, moving into an even smaller palace, which commanded a pleasant prospect of a timber yard, I continued my daily round at the warehouse. The only changes that I can now remember are that I grew gradually more shabby and lonely, and that the weight of Mr. and Mrs. McCorber's affairs began to press on me more lightly. Some relatives and friends had engaged to help them at their part, and they really lived more comfortably in the prison than they had lived for a long time while out of it. I still used to breakfast with them, by virtue of some arrangement that I've forgotten. I also spent each evening with them, walking up and down the parade with Mr. Micawber, or playing casino with Mrs. Micawber, and hearing reminiscences of her papa and mama. Whether they knew where I was at Murdstone and Grimby, I'm unable to say. At least I never told them. 
You will rejoice to hear, Copperfield, that my affairs have at last passed their crisis. The deed of which I've told you has ceased to be a rock ahead of us. In short, I can see my way. You mean you're going to be released, Mr. Micawber? My family has decided that Mr. Micawber should apply for his release under the Insolvent Debtors Act. We expect him to be set free in a few weeks' time. Yes, yes, yes. And then I have no doubt I shall, please heaven, begin to be beforehand with the world and to live in a perfectly new manner. If, um, in short, uh, if anything turns up. But what has happened? When did you hear, Mr. Micawber? I've not heard officially, you understand. I have composed a petition to the House of Commons, praying for an alteration in the law of imprisonment for debt. We have here in the prison a club, Copperfield, in which, as a gentleman, I may claim to have some authority. I have expressed my views of the petition to our fellow members, who have strongly approved of the same, and, in short, they're all going to sign it. Captain Hopkins here has the draft. Ah, indeed. Uh, I make so bold as to read it to Master Copperfield, sir. It's a noble document. To the people's... <clears throat> to the people's representatives in Parliament assembled. We, the petitioners, His Majesty's unfortunate subjects, humbly approach your honourable house in the belief that the best interests of His Majesty's realm can the more effectively be served by reconsideration of the laws by which... In due time, Mr. McCorbett's petition was ripe for hearing. And to our great joy, he was ordered to be discharged under the Insolvent Debtors Act. His creditors had not proved implacable, and Mrs. McCormick informed me that even the most revengeful of them, a bootmaker, had declared in open court that he bore Mr. McCorbett no malice but that when money was owing to him, he liked to be paid. He said he thought it was only human nature. Mr. Micawber returned to the King's Bench when his case had been heard, as some fees were to be settled, and some formalities observed before he could actually be released. The club received him with transport and held an harmonic meeting that evening in his office. While Mr. Micawber's release was being celebrated, Mrs. Micawber and I retired for some lamb's fry in private, surrounded by her sleeping family. On such an occasion, I will give you, Master Copperfield, in a little more flip, the memory of my papa and mamma. Are they dead, ma'am? My mamma departed to slide before Mr. Micawber's difficulties commenced, or at least before they became pressing. My papa lived to bail Mr. Micawber several times and then expired, regretted by a numerous circle. I'm sorry, ma'am. But what are you and Mr. McCorber going to do now that he's out of his difficulties? My family are of opinion that Mr. McCorber should quit London and exert his talents in the country. Mr. McCorber is a man of great talent, Master Copperfield. I'm sure of that, man. Of great talent. My family are of opinion that, with a little interest, something might be done for a man of his ability in the custom house. The influence of my family being local, it is their wish that Mr. McCorber should go round to Plymouth. They think it is indispensable that he should be upon the spot. That he may be ready? Exactly. That he may be ready in the case of anything turning up. Are you going too, ma'am? I never will desert Mr. Micawber, Master Copperfield. Mr. Micawber may have concealed his difficulties from me in the first instance, but his sanguine temper may have led him to expect that he would overcome them. The pearl necklace and bracelets which I inherited from Mama have been disposed of for less than half their value. And the set of coral, which was the wedding gift of my papa, has been actually thrown away for nothing. But I will never desert Mr. Micawber, no. I never will do it. It's no use asking me. But, ma'am, I'm not asking you to desert him. Mr. Micawber has his faults. I don't deny that he's improvident. I don't deny that he's kept me in the dark as to his resources and his liabilities, both. But I never will desert Mr. Micawber. Emma, my angel, whatever is the matter? I never will desert you, My Micawber. life, I'm perfectly aware of it. Pray calm yourself. He's the parent of my children. He's the father of my twins. He's the husband of my affection. And I never will desert Mr. Micawber. Mr. Micawber was so deeply affected by this proof of her devotion that he hung over her in a passionate manner, imploring her to look up and be calm. Finally, he begged me to do him the favor of taking a chair on the staircase while he got her to bed. 
I would have taken my leave for the night, but that he would not hear of my doing that until the stranger's bell should ring. So I sat at the staircase window until he came out and joined me. How is Mrs. McCorber now, sir? Very low, Copperfield, I'm afraid. Very low. Reaction. Ah, this has been a dreadful day. We stand alone now. Everything is gone from us. But I thought you'd both be so happy about your release, Mr. McCorber. Ah, yes, my release. God bless you, Copperfield. God bless you. Mr. and Mrs. McCorber were so used to their old difficulties, I think, that they felt quite shipwrecked when they came to consider that at last they were released from them. But through all the confusion and lowness of spirits in which we had suddenly become involved, I plainly saw that Mr. and Mrs. McCorber and their family were going away from London and that a parting between us was near at hand. The next day, they took a lodging in the house where I lived. At the end of the week, they had made arrangements for setting out to Plymouth. I shall never, Master Copperfield, revert to the period of Mr. McCorber's difficulties without thinking of you. Your conduct has always been of the most delicate and obliging description. You have never been a lodger. You have been a friend. My dear, Copperfield has a heart to feel for the distresses of his fellow creatures when they are behind a cloud and a head to plan and a hand to, in short, a general ability to dispose of such available property as could be made away with. I'm very sorry you're going away, sir. Truly, I am. My dear young friend, I'm older than you. A man of some experience in life and, and of some experience, in short, in difficulties, generally speaking. At present, and until something turns up, which I am, I may say, hourly expecting, I have nothing to bestow but advice. Still, my advice is so far worth taking that, uh, in short, that I've never taken it myself. And I'm the, the miserable wretch you behold. Oh, my dear, my I daughter. say the miserable wretch you behold. My advice is never do tomorrow what you can do today. Procrastination is the thief of time. Collar him. My poor papa, Maxim. My dear, your papa was very well in his way, and heaven forbid that I should disparage him. Take him for all in all. We now shall see, uh, <clears throat> in short, to make the acquaintance probably of anybody possessing at his time of life the same legs for gaiters and able to read the same description of print without spectacles. But he applied that maxim to our marriage, my dear. And that was so far prematurely entered into in consequence that I never recovered the extent. Not that I'm sorry for it. Quite the contrary, my love. I have never regretted the day, Micawber, mm -hmm. no matter what your difficulties may have been. My other piece of advice, Copperfield, you know. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 19 pounds, 19 and sixpence. Result, happiness. Annual income, 20 pounds. Annual expenditure, 20 pounds, ought and sixpence. Result, misery. The blossom is blighted, the leaf is withered. The god of day goes down upon the dreary scene, and, in short, you're forever flawed, as I am. Your health, Copperfield. I, I remember all you've told me, Mr. Corbin. Truly, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Next morning, I met the whole family at the coach office and saw them with a desolate heart take their places outside the coach at the bank. Master Copperfield, God bless you. I never can forget all that, you know. And I never would if I could. Thank you, ma'am. I shall never forget you either. Copperfield, farewell. Every happiness and prosperity. If in the course of revolving years I could persuade myself that my blighted destiny had been a warning to you, I should feel that I had not occupied another man's place in existence all in vain. In case of anything turning up, of which I'm rather confident, I shall be extremely pleased if it should be in my power to advance your prospects. Thank you, sir. You've been very kind to me. I think, as Mrs. Micawber sat at the back of the coach with the children, and I stood in the road looking wistfully at them, a mist cleared from her eyes, and she saw what a little creature I really was. I think so, because she beckoned me to climb up with quite a new and motherly expression in her face, and put her arm round my neck, and gave me just such a kiss as she might have given to her own boy. 
I had better time to get down again before the coach stopped. I could hardly see the family for their handkerchiefs they wear. It was gone in a minute. God bless you, Master Copperfield. It was gone in a minute. The offling and I stood looking vacantly at each other in the middle of the road, and then shook hands and said goodbye. And David Copperfield was on his own at last. This is Laurence Olivier again. This week in our play, taken from sequences chosen from Charles Dickens' David Copperfield, our cast included Susan Richards as Mrs. Micawber, Patricia Fryer as the young David Copperfield, together with Anthony Green, Gabrielle Blunt, Keith Pyatt, and Jackson Fraser. I look forward to the pleasure of your company next week when I shall introduce another play. Until then, au revoir, and thank you. Lawrence Olivier starred in today's transcribed program. The script was by Derek Patmore. The music was under the direction of Sidney Torch. Theatre Royal is an NBC presentation produced and directed by Harry Allen Towers.